This is Observations Q&A podcast for Friday, the uh, sometime in May, isn't it? Is this May? Yes, it is. It's May the 14th. And uh, so welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. And Michael is back uh, after uh, about a two and a half month absence, I think. Um, actually, it may have been longer than that now that I think about it, but you're back and we can talk and Yay. <laughs> We, we can talk about the things that bores Bruce shitless, too. Uh, so, <laughs> so we can discuss a couple of different topics. Uh, that normally, uh, I, I tread a little lightly around because Bruce is good for about three minutes and then he's ready to move on to something else. Ah, so we got news today from the CDC who have decided that if you do have a vaccine... That um, hey, you're 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 a hoopy cool fruit, and uh, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Inside or outside. Inside or outside. So, vaccinated people no longer have to to wear masks. So I guess that means that if you're unvaccinated, everybody can just you know you can wear a mask, and people would just point at you and shame you publicly. Um, yeah, you're not a star-bellied snitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, here's the. Here's the weird thing about this, and I've been following, you know, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang, who have talked about this um, a fair amount on on their Dark Horse podcast, which is and, a good one, by the way. Oh yeah, it's a fantastic uh, podcast. Two, you know, very well trained biologists talking about pretty cool stuff. And one of the things they're talking about is the um, the difficulty of getting any data at all about the vaccine that might in any way cast any doubt on sort of the, I don't know whether we'd call it the consensus or at least what the CDC says. Um, And it it goes, you know, sort of beyond just the, the difficulty of getting the data. It is the, like in social media and other places, just the, the sheer intolerance for anything that might question any of the data. And, uh, the way that, and like with people like Fauci, which really gets me, I mean, here's a guy that admitted, oh yeah, I lied to your face. I told you you didn't need a mask and I damn well thought that you did need one. I just told it so the good people could get masks and you can go <laughs> screw. Um, you know, you wonder why so many people are vaccine hesitant. I think uh, the last thing I saw was something like 40%. Uh, of people are hesitant about getting the vaccine and a full somewhere between 17 and 25% say that they're not going to get the vaccine under any circumstances. You know, if you're going to try to run a scientific endeavor and yet do so in a way that ensures that people can't really have access to the numbers in any way that's understandable, the way they're reporting them, the obfuscation they use, the way they're cutting the population up into these really tiny demographic chunks, if you're going to make it really difficult to understand what is going on, then you probably shouldn't be surprised if people don't trust what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and funnily enough, it, it, this sort of reminds me of the argument, uh, about whether Orwell's 1984 or, um, Huxley's, um, brave, new, brave world. new world was more accurate. And somebody has argued, and I kind of have to agree that 
if you're looking at prescience, it was actually uh, uh, Huxley. You know, Soma was the thing that everybody had to take, and they all took it, and then, you know, everybody was happy, and they just went along and did whatever they needed to do. And it was all applied via, you know, government-applied social pressure. And it worked. And it worked exactly the way the government wanted it to. And you get that sort of feeling with the vaccine. Now, I, I'm not against the vaccines. I'm fine. I, I, I'll get, I'm getting my second dose on Monday. Um, I, I've never had a problem getting it. Um, but at the same time, now they've opened it up for kids. And while my 17, about to be 18-year-old going off to college is now going to be required to have it, and he doesn't want it, um, yeah, that's going to set up some conflict in my family. <laughs> and but the, but the bottom line here is that it was we have not been given a real honest approach, or certainly not a transparent approach to getting the vaccine. And that's given some people the heebie-jeebies. I mean, especially when, you know, for the past uh, at least four years, and I would argue much longer, uh, people have been getting much more skeptical of government edicts. And, well, just trust us. We, we're doing the right Uh-oh. I think I just, I think I just lost you, Michael. You just appear to have called me um, via FaceTime. Um, uh, we don't, we can't do this via FaceTime because I'm not hooked up into the mixer. We have to do it via we have to do it via Google. I'm not sure how that FaceTime thing happened. Michael just disappeared in the middle of talking and, uh, what the hell was the FaceTime thing? and went away. I have no idea. Um, but uh, uh, you have left the call, so we're going to have to, I'm going to have to turn the volume off here, and we're going to have to reconnect with the call. So I don't know what happened, but we will call Michael with video. And uh, I will spare you the horrific dingy dings that have been going on that have to go on for Michael to answer. And I got you back. Yeah, the, what the the gremlins are screwing with us. Uh, apparently so. And we had great. You know what's weird is oh wait I wasn't seeing video now I actually see video or I actually saw a dark shape so I assume that you have. That's video all you're going to see because I'm outside. <laughs> <laughs> It's dark. Although I gotta say that I really like your studio. This is like turned into quite the the uh, like master's studio. Yeah, I uh, I have a pretty good little TV studio now. I've noticed something here in Google that really pisses me off. That's got to change, uh, and that is that my uh, my background actually everything is flipped. It's flipped horizontal. Oh oh oh, oh yeah right. Hold on, if I do this, well yeah you're fine. But you you should be able to see, by the way, if you're on the podcast, you're not seeing anything. So we're talking about how we see each other on video. I have uh, a, a background Normandy. that has text. Uh, now, is it showing up right way? Is, does it, say it is showing up the right way, yes. Okay, because I'm looking at it on... Am I uh, showing up the right way? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's all black. <laughs> but I don't know whether you're seeing Normandy or Idnamram. So, nope. So it's it, Normandy. It says Normandy. Mass Effect Legendary Edition, by the way, in the house. It has a camera <laughs> mode built into it, and I'm taking fucking video after video after video. Anyway, yeah, uh, people are. Let's, let's get, can we get back on track? What were we talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, there's no trust in the science right now, and that is largely a product of how 
um, the the government scientists have conducted themselves in order to manipulate people. And that's let's just face it. That's what it is. That's what it's been. And yeah. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I mean, manipulation, it, you know, it's a double edged sword, but it has been largely uh, because the government has tried to manipulate people into uh, getting these vaccines and aren't being straightforward with them. And then are coming back later and, well, like Fauci did. I mean, look, it was bad to lie. What Fauci should have said is, look, don't run out and buy masks. we got to have masks for first responders. If you go out and buy masks, you're going to cause a shortage and you're going to cause people to die. I understand why you want them, but you can't get them because we're ordering millions of them to prepare for first responders. What he said instead was, yeah, masks are fucking useless. Right. <laughs> and then he comes back, you know, six weeks later after they got all the masks that they need and just said, OK, uh, yeah, you, know you should wear a mask. Masks, huh, Actually, yeah, it might not be so bad. And then he went to, no, you know what? You should wear two. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, no, one is OK. And now it's back to, OK, well, I guess you don't have to wear a mask if you've been vaccinated. Um, OK, but that kind of of. Uh, you know, change up. And then the ridiculousness of you got to wear two masks. I know I said right. you didn't need a mask, but now you need two, I guess, to make up for all the time we weren't wearing one at his advice. So people are naturally going to be. And then selling the vaccine. Look, if there's no to wearing the or to getting the vaccine, when you see Biden and, and Harris and, and Congress and, uh, you know, all these people wearing masks when they don't need to. I mean, Biden was the only one. I'm sure you guys talked about this. The only one yeah. on that on that uh, uh, what was it um, uh, teleconference or whatever it was, Zoom call that was wearing a mask. It's like there's nobody even around you, Joe. I know. It's pure theater and stupid theater at that. And look, if Joe really wanted to do something useful, the, the most useful thing he could do is to stand up in front of a podium in a mask, pull it off whip out a Zippo, light it on fire, and say, I've been fucking vaccinated. I'm yeah. fine. Amen. That's right. That's ex- and You know what? That would be more effective than anything else they've done. Yeah, I mean, it would, it, at least it would show the messaging, and then he should never be seen in a mask again. Right. And Yeah, that- he's well beyond having to worry about this stuff. Yeah. And everybody around him is, is vaxxed as well, So and have been for months. Yeah. I mean, they uh, among the first people who got it. So, and Joe would have been among the first people who got it anyway because of his advanced. Yeah, age. that's right. So, yeah, it, it, this kind of of inconsistent messaging and the way that they're presenting the data that does exist. And look, I have no reason to not trust the data that they're presenting, largely become because the data does not come from the federal government. It comes from states and counties and cities, and all the federal government does is, is collate it. But Amalgam. It from, yeah. Right. But it comes from such a wide variety of different agencies um, that you would uh, you would know immediately if the federal government was fudging the numbers. However, you know, try to explain that to somebody who's scared about the whole COVID thing anyway, and then who says, right. well, this has been approved for emergency authorization. And that was the other thing. The, sort of the messaging around the vaccine was, hey— once you get this, you're, you're freaking bulletproof. Well, as it turns out, that's not true. You're no more bulletproof with this than you would be with a flu vaccine. It'll help you, right. and it may reduce the severity. But the emergency authorization for this vaccine was just to prevent serious illness, not necessarily yeah, well, to prevent to the spread immune. was the biggest deal, right? Yeah, but um, 
Yeah, because you're less likely to get it. And I, I think the number is somewhere around uh, 60% actually less likely to get COVID if you have the vaccine. Um, right. So you're cutting your risk by 60% right off the top. If you do get it, you're liable to have a much less severe case of it because right. your immune system is already primed for it. And so in general, it, it, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Now, for someone in my position with the, the medical conditions that I have, I might want to see a full phase three clinical trial or wait for a you know, traditional vaccine, if such a thing is even possible with a, a coronavirus uh, that uses an attenuated or dead version of the virus rather than these these uh, mRNA nanoparticle packages. Right. Because I'd rather see more safety and efficacy stuff on that. Because if I get COVID, I am, you know, you're hosed. I'm I'm dead. So because I am diabetic, um, and apparently, coronavirus really loves diabetes. It loves the yeah. diabetes, and so I, you know, <laughs> I got to be super cautious. Um, and then you had things like uh, the Salk Institute coming out a couple of weeks ago with a, a brand new study that says just the spike protein alone if it gets loose in your bloodstream and goes to other places, can cause systemic damage. Um, so, you know, theoretically, it's supposed to stay in your shoulder muscle and just get your system primed. But if right. those spike proteins actually get out into your bloodstream, you may have some serious uh, lung and heart and uh, brain complications from that. I'm sure some small percentage of people will anyway. Um, so, right. you know, I, I would want to see better... I'd want to see either an attenuated live vaccine um, or dead vaccine even um, rather than the spike proteins because the spike proteins themselves seem to have a problem. Now, they, they, they Salk Institute had to come back a week later and say, well, our understanding or our, our indications are that the spike proteins stay in the intramuscular area. They don't get into the bloodstream and go vascular and cause the same kind of damage. But the research shows that it's the spike protein itself in the coronavirus that even in the absence of a virus can cause physical, uh, serious physical side effects. So, you know, there's all this, this confusion and messaging. And for most people who don't understand biology and who don't understand immunology, and I think I have a fairly firm grasp of both, um, they're going to be terrified by all of this. And so you, you wonder why they're not going to get it. And the way to get people to get it is to provide them with reliable data that they can trust from a source that they consider, you know, reliable, and not just to say, "Hey, um, ignorant racist hayseed, go get a shot," <laughs> right. or "Hey, look, we'll give you a million dollars if you go get." Well, yeah, that's what <laughs> well, they're doing in a pool. What was that? Was that Ohio or, or what? Yeah, that, Dewine. Yeah, Mike that, Dewine that said, "Hey, we're going to have a, a, a lottery, and we're going to pick five vaccinated people and give them a million bucks." Uh -huh. so, Who's that aimed at? <laughs> Well, the, the the let's call them the low information voters, <laughs> right? Uh, I think it was it uh, is it J D Two Seal? Who who's the one that wrote uh, Hillbilly Elegy? Yeah, that's J D Two Seal. Yeah, uh, the, it's kind of aimed at his cohort, the hillbillies, which is a really interesting cohort. I know a lot about hillbillies because I'm rewatching Justified. Which is a fantastic show. <laughs> I mean, the acting's not great, but it's pretty good. Timothy Oliphant is fantastic. And, well, the guest stars on there are absolutely amazing. And it's just a cool And the guy that show. plays Boyd Crowder is... Oh, my God. He is so good. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff on that show.
and he's a transvestite. <laughs> <laughs> that should click all the, the buttons. <laughs> it should right? click all the buttons. <laughs> so anyway, it, there's just all this vaccine hesitancy, and, and we keep talking about when we're going to go back to work and when we're going to go back to normal. And you know, if- Well, so I don't know what's going on, on out in the West Coast, but since the CDC, I think uh, the internal um, polling has finally uh, kind of turned the wheel a little bit because uh well a it's a little bit of a safe time politically because we're coming to the end of the school year right so if you're in school you're already in school but now they're aiming okay we got to get schools open in the fall so even randy weingarten uh the head of the uh american federation of teachers is like oh no we totally we, we really need to get uh all the kids back in school it's totally safe now i mean i i think the backlash that's been coming i mean you saw where was i think it was in colorado uh where that that uh and i'm sure you guys talked about this uh, where where all the people the parents essentially showed up and scared away all the school board and then elected themselves in place and said okay yeah we're not doing this well i think that had to do with critical race theory but it also had to do with getting kids back into school and we're seeing a lot of that loudon county right here next door to me um, richest county in the U.S. Uh, they've been getting a lot of pushback. There's there, there's a huge ideological battle going on up there, um, and I'm wondering if that is what finally turned the tide, and the CDC came around to all right, fine, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated, you know, you can do whatever you want. And even today, uh, so as of tomorrow at like 5:01 in Virginia, and this is what kills me. And and also uh, Maryland, right next door. Um, you know, if you're vaccinated and you're past your two weeks from your second shot or two weeks from your, you know, if you had Johnson Johnson shot, um, then you are fully vaccinated and you don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to social distance indoors or outdoors, except <laughs> on public transportation, uh, at concert venues. It's like, what? What? Why do we still have to have these? Look, it's either it it, it, it worked or it didn't work. I mean, there's no special circumstances here. Either it works or it doesn't work. Let's just make it a blanket. Yeah, you're you're fine. Yeah, having all these rules and hedges, it's just not going to it's not going to sit well with people. No. Oh, and but the the funny thing is, and I'm sure you've seen some of these. these articles over the past week or so um, about, you know, emerging from uh, the the pandemic era. I don't know if I want to. Uh, And there are a lot of people that I think really enjoyed having, I mean, I I would imagine they're mostly Karen types who were like, Oh, I love it when people are as sanitary as I want them to be and have to follow it because, you know, that's the law, even though it's not actually the law. Um, I mean, there are people who are going to have serious problems with this, and they're freaking out right now. By the way, I'm informed that it was J.D. Vance for Hillbilly Elegy and J.D. Tosiel for High Desert Barbecue. That's right. Yes, J.D. Vance. That's right. Yes, thank you to whoever said that. Jim in New Hampshire. Well done, Jim. (laughs) So, you know, this whole idea about emerging from the pandemic and getting back to normal. I'm not sure that I want it to go back to normal. 
Well, you know, the, there are parts of this that I've liked. I mean, I live in Northern Virginia and traffic around here is awful at the best times during this pandemic. Oh my God, I can whip around. It only takes me like half an hour to go five miles. <laughs> it would take me an hour normally. Uh, that's been very nice. You know, uh, the fact that I don't have to fight for uh, a grocery, um, you know, checkout. Um, that's lovely. You know, um, the fact that I can go and get some wings and a burger and sit at a bar and I'm not going to be crowded out by a bunch of college students. Uh, that's that's wonderful. I love that. Well, I love feeling like I have my own world. That that is kind of cool, and there have been a lot of extra conveniences in that sense. I'm I'm talking about just from a, a business and work sense and what work life is like. You know, I've spent since last March, so I'm going on 14 months um, of working from home. I get up right. in the morning, I walk into my office, and I'm here until you know five six p.m. And my office is now this workspace. I don't even come in, well, except for the podcast. I don't even come in here unless I'm going to work. And right. I walk out of my office and I know I'm off work. And I um, probably drive maybe five miles a week now. Yeah, right. Uh, on weekends, just to go to like Home Depot or the grocery store or what have you. And hell, I don't even go to the grocery store all that much because of Instacart. I mainly have shit delivered. Um, I'm not sure I want to go back to a world where I've got to get up an hour and a half before I'm supposed to be at work, fight through traffic. By the way, I got rid of my motorcycle. What? Yeah. Why have a motorcycle that I never have to ride? I never have to go anywhere. Um, mm. So what's the point of paying for a vehicle that well, I'm not going to use? insurance on that vehicle. Yeah and insurance and everything else. So, you know, it, it, it has cut, you know, that, I mean, I had a BMW, so that was 550 a month. I was paying for that thing. Um, yeah. that's, that's gone. That's just money in my pocket. Don't even tell, let's not even talk about the extra two two fifty a month in gas and maintenance and all the other things. So yeah, for me, this has been great. Now, obviously I have a, a technology job, so you know, there's nothing that, really requires my physical presence in an office to do. As long as we have the infrastructure set up and we do, I can work from home. So what is, I, I, well, I'm not going to ask the question. I can tell you what my response is going to be. Oh, by the way, we closed our office. In oh, March. really? Yeah, in March 1st, our lease was up. We closed down the office. So we don't even That's have, smart. we don't even have an office location. And now they're talking about, well, in 2021, we'll probably get an office down in Mission Valley. No, I, I, I am not going to drive for an hour, hour and a half to Mission Valley every day to do the same job that I've been doing from my home from office here, right, yeah. every single day. Um, I think that we're going to have to have some discussions in many companies about working from home and work-life balance and this idea that we've all got to go into some big office every day and hang out for whatever reason. And you can throw all the stuff you want about, well, it helps build teams and all this other stuff. Sorry, I, I, I'm not really interested in spending 750 bucks a month building teams. Yeah, I, I, and I think a lot of companies are coming to this realization. And look, we talked about this years ago. 
about wouldn't it be more efficient if you could hire people out in like Indiana or, you know, Ohio or I don't know, somewhere in the Midwest where the, the, the cost of living is cheap. You don't have to pay them quite as much, but you're still going to be paying, um, uh, you know, a really decent wage for where they're living as opposed to, you know, having to hire people in New York City or, or Chicago or Dallas, you know, or wherever. And where you get the same level of competence, um, you have the same level of monitoring, especially with, uh, you know, the way VPN and, and well, not just VPN, but the, the, but the, the way the networks work. Um, wouldn't you, why would you spend all that extra money? I mean, the commercial real estate market right now is in the shitter, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, there are very few, maybe some law firms, maybe some like big time investment firms. And I mean, big time, you know, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, like those types, uh, need to maintain some sort of office presence, especially when, you know, they have a lot of international business. And so their clients come over and, you know, our potential clients come over and they, they want to put on a big show, have nice, fancy artwork and the fountains and all that crap. But for the most part, I mean, most businesses don't need you, especially if you're in a technology field or even me. I mean, look, I, my employer right now is in San Diego and I never go to San Diego, maybe once a year. Well, the weird tops. thing is, is that of the five people that we've hired over the past two or three months, uh, one is in Pasadena and he's the closest one. Right. Um, we've hired guys in Virginia, in Arizona. Uh, we have somebody who works out of Chicago. So, so what are they going to do when we open up the office? I have to go in simply because I happen to be geographically co-located within driving distance, but everybody else that you've hired for the past couple of months, they still get to work from freaking Austin. Um, right. I'm not sure yeah. that's going to go over really well. Austin. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think that there's going to be a, a a very fundamental change in the way that work is conducted. Um, there's going to be a lot more telecommuting. Um, and you know what? Look, the Greens should be happy about this. It, that means less commuting. That means less gas uh, and, you know, emissions in the air. Um, it, it's very, very sound green-wise. By the and, way, that's an argument I'm going to use when they say, okay, you all got to come back into the office. Right. I'm going to say, why do you hate polar bears? Right. Why are you trying to kill the earth? <laughs> because I work with a bunch of lefties. And so for me, the best argument is you hate the planet. Right. Hate, yeah. Why do you want to kill the planet? You're going. At, think you, about all those emissions I'm going to be, be putting out just because you want to come to the office when I could have done. And I have been doing it for the last 18 months from right here. Every day for the last 18 months, I've been doing it from here. And of course, by that time, we'll have been doing it for two years. You tell me after two years, I got to go back to the office now. No, yeah. no, no. That's not going to make Johnny Polar Bear happy at all. <laughs> I love it. So you have to you have to marshal the correct arguments. Well, you know what? And frankly, that's a good argument. I, I, I really don't. And I've thought this for a long time. I thought that that, uh, you know, the idea of commuting into the city to be in an office 
where frankly you show up to meetings nobody pays attention and then you're just dreading it no you don't want to do it and you're not actually doing any work you could do these zoom calls and it could take a lot less time um and then you have more time to actually work not to mention the time that you're not working while you're commuting uh, you, you give yourself an extra half an hour of sleep and prep time and then you know you're actually kind of, it's possible to be more productive. Now, do I think um, the one area I think that that isn't going to change is sales. You really do kind of, if you're doing sales, you really do need to be in the room with the person, but fine. Okay. Everything but sales and business development. Okay, fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's any number of, you know, HVAC people, plumbers. I mean, look, your your life isn't going to change. You're still going to have to go to people's houses and do their shit for them. Right. Uh, but for any sort of white collar work, well, it's getting harder and harder to justify. And even from a business point of view, yeah, I get the idea about team building and being able to have a place where customers can come if you want to do some conferences or things like that. I get that. But do you really need a building that holds everybody can we reduce that footprint because when you're talking about spending you know 250 plus per month per square foot for office space that's a really really big ask financially oh yeah especially because that's not even i mean that's only half of the actual cost because you also have to pay for parking spaces you have to pay for cam you have to pay for all the, you know, the, the electronics and the the, uh, the internet and the telephone, the telephony and all that stuff. I mean, it, it and that gets really expensive. And you have to have people working on that all the time. And, you know, you have to have constant uh, monitoring and maintenance of it. I mean, you could uh, uh, farm that out to, to uh, 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 you know, what are they, the, the, the farms, the uh, server farms, yeah, you can look, farm that out to the server farms. We, we are running entire, everything. We're, we're, our entire IT infrastructure is now running off of either Azure or AWS. Right. We don't need to have uh, any of that stuff locally. We, what happened last year, uh, well, early in 2020 in January, we got hit with a ransomware attack, much like the colonial pipeline yeah. and much like colonial pipeline, we had to restore everything from backup. But yeah. it happened to us as we were about, you know, half-assed to move to Azure already. And so I, I think it took us down for about three days uh, before we could actually get back and start doing some, some work again. So, yeah, it was expensive, but we didn't pay them. We just Good. got our stuff and we restored it from backup. And within a week, we were sort of back to normal business. Yeah, we lost some things here and there. But that sort of forced us to say, okay, let's finish this move to the cloud. Let's just move everything to the cloud. And we did. And so we had really no IT infrastructure other than like a little domain server and some, you know, some yeah, for internal stuff, Cat right? 6 cable or Cat 5 cable running to the computers that run a local area network. I mean, that was really the only infrastructure we had. So shutting the office down became super simple. I, they scheduled us to go in and pick up our shit from the office, picked it up, brought it home. But whenever we got the COVID thing and they said, hey, we're going to have to work from home. Um, for me, it, it didn't change anything. I have all the stuff here that I needed to do my job. And so I just started doing it from here. And 
I think a lot of companies find themselves in the same position. And so I think that that, that employees are going to have some serious concerns about going back to work every day now that they've gotten them a taste of freedom. How are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen gay Paris? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think I would hope that COOs and even CEOs would have the, the same sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it a premonition, but at least a realization that, you know what, we could actually save a lot of money on capital cost and maybe even boost pay uh, for the best talent and not have to have a big footprint. I mean, especially when you're talking about downtown New York or uh, L.A. or San Francisco or Chicago, you know, or Boston. I mean, it's expensive to maintain uh, office space down there, uh, but there's a prestige associated with it. So, again, I mean, you might have some, you know, super highfalutin uh, you know, law firms and, and investment firms and that sorts. Uh maintaining that sort of space but if you're just a run-of-the-mill tech company not even run-of-the-mill you could be an awesome tech company why do you need all that space why do you need that huge campus well not you only know? not only that but but the, the, and i think employees realize that and i think employees haven't gotten a taste of what it's like not to have to commute every day are eager to do that but the, the countervailing problem are the, the the types of executives who just believe that if you're not in the office and I can't keep my eye on you, I don't know that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I get that. That's sort of old school, though. And frankly, that's uh, not the type of CEO that's running the uh, avant-garde of businesses. Yeah, but there's still a lot of small and medium-sized businesses that are run by people who just want to have their fingers in everybody's pie. That's true. Although a lot of those are family businesses. Yeah, well. <laughs> there's, they, they got a that's lot of good well. reason to have suspicion of what Junior's doing. <laughs> Why is it always the son of the founder is always some reprobate like uh, right. Colin Farrell in Horrible Bosses? <laughs> I always think of like Andy Reid and uh, his sons who have been complete fucking thugs and are constantly in trouble. And Andy Reid is one of the most successful NFL coaches like ever. (laughs) And yet his sons are just complete trash and they're constantly getting in trouble. Why? Well, you know why? Because they had more money than God to deal with. They didn't have a dad at home like every night at dinner time saying, what happened in school today? You know, I mean, and I understand that. I mean, look, that's his job and that's how he gets along. But it is sort of, um, <laughs> well, I guess, telling that, that you know, these people that, that live in the lap of luxury and have no expectations put on them. Oh, yeah. They end up uh, kind of screwing up, which I think puts the myth to the idea that capitalism is all about um, maintaining wealth. Really, try to maintain wealth. You do that through three generations and see what happens. Yeah, because there's always some loser who wants to blow it all on hookers and blow. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, Arizona 
is still doing, I'm kind of curious as to what your thing is, this audit that um, the Arizona State Senate is doing on the Maricopa County election results. You know, it's funny because I see, um, I see a lot of negativity coming from not just uh, uh, Democratic sources, but also Republican sources. Um, and, and it is a partisan, I think it's a very partisan thing, unfortunately. Um, but not the normal partisan, left versus right. I think it's a Trump versus establishment. the never Trump. Yeah, and the establishment. And when, of course, Democrats. But, um, you know, I don't see the problem with, this is clearly within their purview to do. I, I, and when I see the federal government saying, you know what, maybe we need to stop this. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, 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 wait. Nobody's trying to overturn the election. Nothing's going to change any results. Joe Biden is still going to be the president, even if it shows that Arizona was completely fucked up, which wouldn't surprise me in the least. Matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me in the least that Oklahoma was completely fucked up. I mean, that I I consider sort of the norm at this point. But the the amount of... um, I, I guess, uh, vitriol against, uh, you know, even looking at potential, you know, irregularities and trying to dispel myths. One of the things they're looking at is where, were these things, were there watermarks on these things? And of course, you know, if you look at it from lefty sources, it's like, oh, they're looking to prove that the, that there were watermarks. I mean, according to the actual documents, from the Arizona Senate uh, that, that were delivered um, directly to the auditors. Can you please dispel this myth? <laughs> you know, so they're looking, yeah, no, no watermark, no watermark, no watermark. And they just check it off because, you know, that was a stupid thing all, all to begin. But you know what? It, it will kill that conspiracy theory. Well, you, you know, know great. It's, it's, it's an awfully expensive thing to do. True. But it, it seems to me that audits like this should be welcomed by all parties concerned. I would think so. Right. If we all want to have, if you think it was a perfect election, then you should be welcoming. See, you know, Hey, look, see what they're going to show is going to prove us right. That this was a perfect election. Yeah, exactly. You would think that everybody who was involved would want to know that, Hey, these are our election system works. And if it didn't work, you would think everybody would want to know so that it gets fixed up. Because, look, if your side can cheat, that implies other people that you don't want to win might be able to get away with it as well. So you would want to nip that in the bud as well. I mean, I can't think of a good reason for not doing these audits on a recurring basis. Maybe just pick one county you know, at random from every state, and every state needs to do this sort of forensic audit just to ensure that the, and it had to be a relatively populous county, but just to ensure that that audit, that that election was conducted properly and that everybody complied with all of the rules that were set up by the state legislature. Which yeah, makes, I, I really don't see a problem with that. Which makes the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and their arguments that, well, we can't give you this information because police officers will die. Oh, God, I know. Well, and I saw that they also were resistant. And maybe you can explain this to me because I didn't understand what it meant. Um, The audit team was trying to get access to the routers. Do you know what they meant by routers? 
Well, yeah, internet routers, regular old Cisco routers, they direct the internet traffic inside your local or so wide just area like routers, network. what I thought they were. Okay. Right. And so the routers have a. See, here's the thing routers don't store the data that was communicated, they just store that a communication was passed from this IP address to that IP address, and they just send it along on its merry little way when they got the packets of data. So how we're going from that to, uh, well, if I give you the router tables, police officers will die. Um, that seems to be a pretty stretchy argument to me. And okay, I don't so entirely it was understand sketchy, how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's a sketchy argument. And again, if you think that you did the election the way it was supposed to be done, why wouldn't you just say, hey, go ahead, spend your money, go screw, here's all the stuff. Right. You'll find it. Why, why would you uh, erase databases? And why would you, uh, you know, block the audit team from having access to, you know, all the ballots? Uh, I mean, the, the, they're not acting like, uh, as Glenn Reynolds likes to say, uh, they're totally acting like uh, a team that won fair and square. <laughs> yeah, so... it, it, it's it's just it's amazing to me that that. Uh, this is it, it's a national issue, even though it's not going to affect anything other than shoring up elections. And it seems to me that the left has um, really and the Democrats have. And I do think those <laughs> two things are different. Myself. No, I think I think those two things are different, but they're in cohort here. Um, I think that they have really staked out a position of, um, yeah, we don't want any uh, insight or investigation into any of these things. And that just makes you wonder, hmm, why? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no proof. I have no anything. I have a lot of suspicions, but they're only suspicions. And I, I have no actual data or facts to back up any of my suspicions. So all I have is suspicions, you know, and I'd love to be dispelled of my suspicions. I'd love to know that for a fact, uh, Joe Biden got 81 million votes, the most popular president ever. Um, I, I would love to know that that's the truth. I just like it to be proven to me. And look, I believe that it's possible. I believe that there are enough people who hate Donald Trump who voted against him. And Joe yep. Biden just happened to be the guy they voted for, because you will never convince me that 80 million people in this country look at Joe Biden and said, that is a man who is a president in waiting. Yeah. No. And, and you know what? And the thing is, that's the most plausible explanation for why he got so many votes is that people hated Trump so much that they voted uh, against him, not for uh, Biden. That makes sense. I mean, look, in a lot of ways, that's how Trump beat Hillary, because she was so hated. And a lot of people voted. I think this is absolutely true that a lot of people I know I did. I voted really against Hillary more than I did for Trump. Um, and, and I, it just by the way, the, the fact that the Democrats came within an ace of losing their majority in the House um sort of indicates that. Look, I'll vote for a Republican for you know the House of Representatives, but I'm not voting for that son of a bitch for president. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it's plausible. 
it would be nice to have, you know, some way of knowing that that was true rather than just saying, well, it was a fair election and you can never, ever, ever, ever do anything other than trust my word that it was done fine. Now, look, there were audits that were done by the Secretary of State. Um, so, you know, presumably... The, Secretary of State, uh, well... Who is a Democrat in Arizona. Um, yeah, Secretary of State in Arizona was against this audit. And is not exactly a fan of Trump and uh, is definitely a little bit, I think, thumb on the scale type person. On the other hand, the people who are doing the audit are definitely pro-Trump and they are also That's hands true, on yeah. the scale type person as well. So I don't think that they picked the right organization to lead this. I would agree with that. Yeah. Although they did pick some really good uh, uh basically supervisors they picked one republican and one uh democrat um both of whom to be honest are skeptical of the way elections are run um so you know that that puts them a little bit more on the skeptic side well a lot more on the skeptic side um but even the democrat is like hey look let's you know let's look through this and he's been very good about uh, calling out irregularities when he sees them. And there have been some, you know, th- there have been ballots left out when they shouldn't have been. And, uh, you know, there's been some weird discrepancies in the way that this has been audited. Um, and I think they should be looked into. I mean, I, I, I'm not looking for a win here. I'm just looking for clarity. Yeah. And I think that's the, the most we can ask for is some clarity because I, I have no problem at all believing that our election system is hosed. And I believe it's largely due to incompetence. Um, yes. And I think that incompetence also opens the door for some measure. I'm sure there's some in every election. How much? I don't know. But the more incompetent well, your yeah, election right. is We, we know there's fraud, right? Yeah. Every, ele- every election since the first election we ever had, there's always fraud. And, you know, whether it, it is uh, fraud to the scale enough that, that can change an election, well, you know, I mean, I think we can LBJ getting voted in by 40 votes you know, uh, to his first uh, House election. Uh, certainly JFK versus um, uh, Nixon. Uh, that was pretty hinky. Uh, I mean, we've had some pretty weird elections and I, I, I'm sure that elections have been stolen before. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. It's the intransigence. Uh, towards even looking at it and trying to make it uh, more transparent and safer that, well, it doesn't befuddle me. Um, It leads me to the the only real conclusion that can be that they want that befuddlement. They want that fuzziness, right? So that they can push things over the line. Because then Stacey Abrams can go around for four years declaring that she is the rightful governor of Georgia. Right. Oh, yeah. You got to love all the Democratic and and lefty pundits uh, on lefty TV, which is most TV, uh, you know, talking about, oh, they're trying to steal democracy. They're challenging this. And wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There was even challenges to whether or not Reagan got elected (laughs) uh, 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 legitimately. He won 49 states. Right. And, you know, I mean. George Bush, are you kidding me? 2000? Uh, th- there was a total. No, no, no. He never. And they didn't even accept 2004. Uh, they never accepted uh, uh, 
uh, um, a lot of people, uh, Trump. A lot of people didn't accept 2016 either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, still don't. But now to challenge it? Oh no, no, no! This is you're undermining democracy. You know, fuck you. No, look, <laughs> doing audits and trying to get to the bottom of what happened does not undermine democracy. It strengthens it. The whole point of having a free and fair election system is one that everybody can trust. If you have an election system where it, it now appears that we do, where half of the country doesn't trust it. And I've had people tell me, I'm never going to vote again. What does it matter? They'll just take it anyway. Okay, that's a problem. It is. And Unless they're stupid. In which case, I applaud their decision. <laughs> but, but you know, if you can show that the election is fair, or if the election is not fair, if there are problems, find it. Go after the people who cause those problems and, you know, drive them out of office like some kind of poison troll. But this, this idea that we can't ever question the results of an election, um, no, I, I think we should constantly question the results of election to confirm that those results are a true accurate and fair representation of what happened on election day. I don't know why anybody would have a problem with it unless obviously they have ulterior motives. Yeah. They have something to hide. I mean, look back in 2012, I'll never forget that night when we're watching the returns come in and we're like, well, shit, it's over. Once, once Obama won Pennsylvania, we're like, well, this is just, it's a done deal. There's, it, never, there's nothing never, else, right? it never occurred in 2012 when, by the way, all the, you know, everybody was thinking, yeah, Romney may actually have this. And it turns out he didn't, not by any stretch of the imagination. And when he lost, we we're like, okay, well, he lost. Yeah, that was it. And then we were like, well, the polls are right. You know, <laughs> like now we, now we trust the polls. And of course, four years later, we're like, <laughs> okay, the polls the are fuck? all fucked. <laughs> Four years later, it was Hillary Clinton as a 96% chance of winning the presidency. <laughs> Just watching that needle on the New York Times website go from oh, that was beautiful to here. Oh, I think watching uh, Chanky uh, Uger, uh like freak out. Just the slow I'm getting motion. seriously pissed right now. Just the slow motion meltdown. <laughs> That was that was absolutely worth every minute. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we don't have um, secure elections and the Democrats have been at the forefront of making sure that we don't. And it's for the sole reason that they want to cheat. And I, I, I'm sorry to make it that blunt and, uh, you know, obvious but i i don't see any other reason I, I remember arguing with this guy on twitter like years ago um and i think it was during the 2012s yeah so it was it was around then and obama was trying to let as many people in um even though he was the deporter present you remember that he was deporting all these people and yeah. Yeah, and, well, whatever. He was letting a lot in, too. And I was remember arguing with this guy uh, from, like, San Francisco. And he was like, what are you talking about? Why would, they, why would they just want to let him in to vote? Like, are you serious? You don't see that? No, that's just, that's some weird because we know how have. Because we know how they're going to vote. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and do you think when they put up so many roadblocks to proving that you're a citizen, in order to vote when they put up so many roadblocks to uh, you presenting ID to, uh, to vote when they put up so many roadblocks 
to you showing that you even have the right to vote. And what else are you supposed to conclude? And I mean, I figured it out pretty early. I mean, you did too. Lots of people have. An interesting cultural experiment would be, what if all of these people who were coming in illegally couldn't wait to get here and vote Republican? Right. <laughs> they were a bunch of, they were coming wearing MAGA hats. <laughs> I think the, the positions of the parties might be switched. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to go down there and start flooding Mexico and Honduras and Guadalajara with uh, Guadalajara with uh, uh, with with MAGA hats. Here's just a hat, man. Just wear it. <laughs> well, the, uh, the speaking of the Republicans and uh, Democrats, the Republicans kicked Liz Cheney out of the number three spot in the Republican House leadership this week. Yeah, replaced her with uh, Elise Stefanik. Yawn. Well, you know, you say that, but I think it it does say something interesting about where the Republican Party think their votes are, and clearly, it's from the MAGA hats. Well, it's I mean, from, yeah, I think I think that's an, a, a good conclusion, but at the same time, Liz Cheney was raising money for no one. Her primary job in that position is to raise money for Republicans to run for Congress, for House of Representatives specifically. She didn't do any of that. She also constantly undercut the leadership uh, with her messaging. She wanted to make this all about Trump. She didn't need to. She could have chosen many different avenues. But she did. And the thing is, you know, I didn't mind Liz Cheney. Uh, um, I, I think she's a strong national national security person, but, you know, maybe a little more warmongering than I would like. But I think she's a strong national security person. But she's also way tied in to the Bushies and the, uh, you know, the basic Democrat or the <laughs> D.C. Uh, you know, establishment. And that's where her loyalty lies. It's not to the Republican Party. And, and yeah, I don't give two shits about the Republican Party. I, they, they can go away and die as far as, as far as all I care. But, I mean, it's their party. And if she's not doing the job they want her to do, well, they're entitled to replace her. I don't see the big deal. I don't even see why this is some sort of weird internecine uh, a battle. It's a, you know, you didn't do your job, Liz. Do well, your fucking job. She didn't do her job and she comes out against Trump. And I think there's a lot of feeling that the electorate, the GOP electorate, whatever it may be, and it, it may or may not be a majority, but I think there's still a lot of pro Trump sentiment out there. And until such time as he goes away, um, I, I guess you know, pro-Trump candidates are the ones who are going to be calling the shots well, in the GOP. But interestingly enough, he threw his weight behind Stefniak, who is not a Trumpist by any stretch of the And she's from New Hampshire. And she did oppose him on uh, on the border wall, on um, uh, the when he did the, uh, the COVID thing, when he... Uh, put the travel restrictions in place when he put the travel restrictions in place on Muslim countries that, you know, 
the Obama administration had already identified and he just mirrored it. Um, she came out against that. So she, I mean, she's a Northeastern Republican, a, a bit more conservative, certainly more conservative than Susan Collins. Um, but I think that she came into favor when a, she went after, uh, who was that guy? Vyshnikov, or I can't remember the 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 the, the Ukrainian expert. Uh, supposedly, Vindeman. what's his name? Colonel Vindeman, Lieutenant Colonel. Vindeman. Yeah, Vindeman, Vindeman. Yeah, when she went after him, when she went after the ambassador to the Ukraine, I, I think that put her on Trump's radar. Trip Roy is uh, much more conservative. He's intransently conservative. Um, and it was interesting that Trump came out in full force in favor of Stefniak as opposed to Roy, who is more his natural constituency, I would think. But he kind of picked a winner there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think that uh, he, he, <laughs> in a lot of ways, that that Trump is uh, the uh, what's his face from Star Wars. Uh, if you strike me down, I should be much stronger. Obi Wan. Obi Wan. He's kind of the Obi Wan right now. I don't think he's going to run in twenty twenty four, and I hope he doesn't. I really, really hope he doesn't. Um, I, I do like his policies, and I do like his. Uh, inherent ability to just shove in the faces of the establishment their hypocrisy. Matter of fact, what did he do earlier this week when uh, uh, everybody was complaining about you know gas shortages and whatever, and comparing um, oh, by the uh, way, Biden to Elise, to uh, at least from Elise Stefanik is from New York, not New Hampshire, by the way. Oh, okay, New York, but she's like upstate New York, right? I don't know i just know it's new york not new hampshire yeah yeah okay i'm sorry i, I don't know why i thought she was from new hampshire but anyway um so <laughs> so trump uh puts out this thing you know about how i don't know why everybody's comparing uh uh biden to uh carter carter was way better carter just had to deal <laughs> with crisis that he fumbled uh yeah. you know and he fumbled them but you know he didn't create them like uh biden did <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if, if Trump wins, it runs in, in 2024 and that son of a bitch pulls a Grover Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be really surprised, but I was surprised he won in 2016. Not, we all were. Not, uh, look, honestly, not super surprised that he lost in 2020. Um, the polls appeared to be pretty much spot on. Um he was just not a popular guy. And, you know, the, the thing about him is that at every juncture where he had the choice between acting like a petulant child and acting like an adult, he chose the petulant child route. Now, shouldn't surprise us. I mean, that, that that's who that guy is. He's baked but, into the cake. But um, if he were to run again, I, I don't know that he would be reelected. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I honestly hope he does not. I just think he's going to be too old. Uh, and while too. that I'm guy old. has way too much stamina for somebody his age, um, and he's got 
a lot of resolve. Um, I'd like a break from that stuff. And, and like a, a Rick DeSantis, uh, I, I don't think Christy Gnome's going to even enter the, the, the stage. Ted Cruz, um, Rand Paul, actually, I think has upped his game quite a bit. Um, and it, it might be a time for Rand Paul to take over that. Now, I mean, yeah, that's probably wishful thinking, but, um, with us kind of going into a more, I don't want to call it isolationist, but a lot of people will call it that. It's certainly a, a withdrawal from these foreign actions that we've been way too involved with for way too long uh, with no clear end in sight and no ability to identify actual goals uh, and accomplishments. Um, I think Rand Paul might be a, a, a breath of fresh air. And, you know, the fact of the matter is on things domestically, the guy is solid, absolutely solid. And he's not as crazy as his dad. Well, here's the thing that could throw this all into a cocked hat. And that is the inflation numbers that we're seeing that are starting to get just a little bit, just a tiny bit frightening. Really? Because I was told there was no inflation. Yeah, well... Well, well, there isn't any inflation. I mean, except for food, gas, and clothing. Um, right. and lumber, oh, that's right. When they take those things out, right? So you know that is that's one of the things that has me that I'm watching very carefully. That has me a little bit worried. All right. So here's the part where we get to uh, bore Bruce. <laughs> it's, I mean, wasn't this predictable? I mean, didn't we know this was going to happen? Let's see. If we pump trillions of dollars uh, into the economy and a good portion of it to keep people from even working to the point where we have something like seven to eight and a half million jobs available and only 260 people got jobs. Um, hello, 70s. Yeah, well, the, the specter of stagflation. Yeah, right. I mean, Bruce and I were talking last week about uh, about Jerry Ford's um, win badges, whip inflation. Now, um, right. it, it, there are indications we're going back to that. I thought it was very interesting. Um, a couple of people, including Warren Buffett, have just come out and flatly stated inflation is on its way back. Yeah. And well, we know it was going to come. We've known it for the last 20 years. If it wasn't for the Fed buying up all those bonds. But here, here's the problem. Now, all of a sudden, we're spending that and putting it back into the, the economy. That spells velocity. And now, all of a sudden, we're going to have all these uh, dollars chasing too few goods. And with all the COVID nonsense, not to mention, you know, the, the uh, colonial pipe down, uh, uh, pipe shut down, uh, which I guarantee you will happen again because they paid off those idiots. Um, you know, and who knows what the next target is going to really be. Um, we've got lumber prices. Lumber prices are up like 3,000% or something. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this is, uh, uh, it's, it's not, you can't say this is all based on one policy because it's not. 
Um, a lot of this does have to do with the policy of shutting down the economy. Uh, so now people are out of work. And so they're not available to deliver wood or to cut wood. Um, they are not available to, uh, you know, work on the pipelines. And then you're paying them to stay home. Huh. So now they're getting bigger money than they would have if they go back to work. And if they go back to work, they're going to lose money. And we have a shortage of labor and we have extra high demand. Yeah, well, look, if people, well, here's the thing. If you're paying people more, as Bruce and I discussed last week, if you're paying people more uh, to be unemployed than they can make in a $15 an hour job, then they're just not going to go back to work. No, and why would you? So what you're going to get are tight labor markets, and employers are going to have to bid up the price of labor to match whatever they're making or to to beat whatever they're making by not working which i presume would have to be a significant amount because you know if i'm not working yes yeah, so hey I can folks still out pay there, my bills. if you're listening here's your here's your uh here's your tip for today your stock tip for today bid up on technology stocks because that's what's going to replace that labor i mean if it's going to cost you forty thousand dollars to employ, uh, you know, uh, uh, a waitress. Well, you know what? They're going to start going to automated, automated uh, means of delivering food. And we're not far off from that. I mean, actually, we're kind of already in that stage. We're, that, that ability is there. And if I can spend, uh, you know, $65,000 now on some automated waiter, and then or kiosk have to pay or another... anything like that. Right. And then I pay what five, six thousand dollars a year um, or even just like, you know, a few hundred dollars a month on maintenance and service and, you know, updates and whatever. That... I'm in a better position than I would be hiring somebody who's going to get things wrong and can't do what I programmed them to do. Yeah. Well, by the way. The opinions expressed here are the personal opinions of the speaker and do not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities. <laughs> I like that. That's a good 230 circular. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it, just, it just worries me that if we start seeing that. Now, on the plus side, with uh, the Fed funds rate at historic lows... The Fed certainly has a lot of anti-inflation room <laughs> to oh, yeah. raise interest rates. Oh, yeah, tons of room. <laughs> they can go back to negative inflation rates, I guess. <laughs> well, no, no, because if, if there's inflation, they would have to raise uh, interest rates. So, therefore— Well, they, they would have to, but, I mean— So, if you're, it, you're already down to a quarter percent, well, you yeah. can't fight deflation, but you can sure as hell fight inflation. You can, you can raise the hell out of those— Interest rates. The problem is, is that is going to the national debt. Yeah, I was about to say most of the, the most of our debt is financed via short term paper, which rolls over every thirty days, six months, uh, sixty days, uh, five years, and ten years. Thirties um, are not a huge portion of the of the bond market. It's all ten years and shorter, and we always use the yield of the ten year bond 
to determine more or less what uh, interest rate the uh, Treasury is paying on all that short-term paper. Well, at, at, at one and a half or two percent for a 10-year bond, well, we can we can finance a whole hell of a lot of debt pretty easily. At eight percent, that's an extra, which is the by the way the historical I think seven and a half ish is the historical long term yield on the ten year bond. Okay, that's an extra eight hundred billion dollars a year just in servicing the national debt. Right. That jump from two hundred million to eight hundred million is a big big jump. That's, I'm sorry, up to a trillion, really. Um, so an $800, million, $800 billion a year increase. That's the entire defense budget. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, people say, well, I, I, I hope for the day when the Defense Department has a bake sale. Well, you know, <laughs> right. that date might not be too far off. <laughs> and, and, and at the most dangerous time uh, in, well, in modern history, certainly, um, this is what we're coming to. We've already depleted our military and we're, we're, uh, and I'm, I, I realize I'm segueing here a little bit, but we are, are now at a point where there are hostile actions happening, um, in the, the hottest places in the world. Um, we've got China building up, trying to build a true blue water Navy. Um, thankfully they're still kind of far behind. Uh, Russia is trying to get there too. Thankfully, they're still behind, but they still have a lot of air uh, ability. Um, we've got Iran, who's being funded mostly by Russia, uh, also who is funding Hamas to send rockets into Israel and daring them to just create an all-out conflagration and destroy the Abraham Accords, which were the single most important. Uh, peace treaties that have been created in the last well i mean since uh uh 76 right i mean since uh carter and and, yeah yeah camp david yeah camp david so i mean this is a huge deal and because of spite uh i don't know this was a one deal and the Biden administration has sought to completely undermine that because they want Iran to be the the dominant force in the Middle East, which makes no fucking sense to me. Like no fucking sense at all. I'm not. I'm not. But sure, that's what they're doing. I'm not sure that's what they, what they want, but they're pursuing a series of policies that might make that inevitable. Well, okay. I mean, if that's not what they want, then what do they want? Because they certainly, they can't mollify. I have not understood the Democrats' foreign policy since the 1980s. There was this, um, after 9-11, there was this commission that was done with Baker and uh, I can't remember who the other guy was. And they did say that, that giving Iran a better foothold in the Middle East would balance out um you know, the, the, the struggle for power. And that has been taken as gospel, balance even though it's it been completely who? wrong. Let's say it again. Balance it with who? With Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a rich nation, but it is very a rich very nation. tiny nation. 
uh, people wise, yes, but influence wise, and this is where it comes from, is that uh, they both fund terrorist organizations, right? And they are both complicit, sometimes uh, in agreement, oftentimes not, about creating conflict uh, in the area in order to keep a stranglehold on their own power. And this is why they both funded the Palestinians for the longest time, even though the, the Palestinians are really Shiite. Um, and the, with the Abraham Accords, that sort of drew back uh, th- that, that money and support. And it kind of left Iran isolated. This was a really smart idea. But now that Iran, backed by Russia, obviously, um, has pretty much free reign and the United States begging to get into this stupid, back into that stupid deal, the JCPOA. Well, all of a sudden, Oh, look at this. Hamas is raining down rockets on uh, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and all over Israel. A cynical person might expect that that was related. Hmm. Right? <laughs> it, it, and then, of course, Iran is uh, running these strafing routes on um, uh, in the Straits of Hormuz and uh, even in, in the Northern Arabian Sea. They are. This is all testing the resolve of the Biden administration, which has shown itself to be weak and uh, ameliorative towards whatever Iran wants. And Kim Jong Un is back to testing missiles. Yeah, I mean, how does this help America again? I I, I forget. I I you know I I look at the panoply of Biden policies and I try to 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 figure out. And I can't. In what way is this policy, it doesn't matter whether it's immigration or military policy or policy towards Iran or, or whatever. Um, in what way is any of this in the interest of the United States of America or its citizens? And I can't think of an answer. Um, but that has been my assessment of Democratic foreign policy for the last 30 years. I don't know why Biden should. But Republican foreign it. policy wasn't really any different, no, to be honest. It, well, it wasn't any different, wasn't any better. We are just now, I mean, let's find something that Biden does that I do think is a good thing. Um, We've had troops in Afghanistan for 20 years now. Yeah. We have troops serving in Afghanistan who were not born when 9-11 happened. Yep. That's an awful long time to have a combat deployment commitment in a foreign country. And even today, you know, there are people on the Republican side who are saying, if you want to talk about Republican intransigence in foreign policy, well, we're just giving terrorists a chance. You know what? Maybe we are, but we can't occupy the world and keep peace forever. We just can't do it. So, you know, tell me what the goals are, how long it's going to take to reach those goals, and how will we know that we've reached them? And nobody knows that what the answer to that question is, as far as I can tell. Well, our our goals are, you know, a peaceful world. Well, good luck with that. Right. Yeah. How how, how much more, uh, uh, you know, oblivious could you be? I mean, or, or hell, how much more uh, uh, opaque could you be? You're not coming up with anything specific. If you're going into a war, have specific goals, and 
accomplishments that that says you want. And we haven't done that. That was the biggest problem with the whole uh, uh, since 9-11, the invasion of Iraq and uh, the invasion of Afghanistan. I'm not I I was all for those things. I I thought that that. Uh, well, I trusted our military leaders and our political establishment to have the best interests of not just us, but also the the, the boys and girls they're sending into uh, war uh, to have their best interests at, at heart as well. And they did. It, it was once once was we were in theater. there. Once we were in there, it took on its own life, and mm-hmm. nobody had an exit strategy. And the exit strategy was fairly clear. Look. The Taliban is defeated. Osama bin Laden is dead. When we captured Saddam Hussein, he was right. hung. Vini, He's Vini, dead. Vini. When and if you don't want us to come back and kill your leaders again, don't fuck with us. Right. Yeah. The, it would have been that simple, but it wasn't. And you know, Bush was like, "Well, we don't want to do nation building," but then we got involved in nation building. And I, I agree, we shouldn't be involved in nation building. We can't build these nations. You know, is Iraq better off now? If they can't build their own country, if they can't build their own country and they got to live there, what the hell are we going to do? Absolutely. And this is a problem around the world, quite frankly. You know, why are we taking in all these refugees from Central America? Why don't they fight against their own corrupt governments? You know, what is it? What is it going to take to get them to stand up on their own two feet? And if they can't do that there. What the fuck do we want them here for? Well, look, you know, you, you got a choice. I can run around the hills with a rifle, which is not fun. Um, no. Or I can just go to the United States. Right. And well, look, nobody I probably make the same me. choice, to be honest with you. But, uh, I, but it doesn't, I mean, when you look at a nation that was built upon conflict, you know, that we had to actually separate ourselves from the dominant power uh, and it was an incredibly dominant power. Uh, it was the dominant sea power at the time. Um, and yet we did it because we felt that the fruits of liberty were much more important uh, than being slaves to, uh, you know, the, the, the crown in England. And that was a noble cause. And there's nobody finding this noble cause anymore. And, you know, the funny thing is, so I, I was at this dinner tonight. And that was one of the reasons I was late it is because, um, you know, I'm at this house with uh, a woman of Mexican descent who grew up in Texas and a guy who um, came from Honduras and uh, just the sweetest guy. Um, he and so we were talking about, like, you know, these problems you might have had as a kid and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, I just didn't really have any of that. We didn't have back when I was growing up in Honduras, like we didn't, we didn't have like uh, human trafficking or like the drugs running around. And, and uh, so he's talking about like the, you know, late seventies, early eighties. And he's like, we just, we just didn't have that. And it kind of occurred to me, I was like, well, what, what changed everything? How did all of these places come so corrupt? And the one thing, the only, well, the only thing that I can really think of, and I don't know that that's the correct answer, but I think it certainly contributed, was the war on drugs, right? Because once we made drugs illegal, well, now that's a really profitable business. And there's only so many routes to get the drugs from down there to up here. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly a it's certainly a plausible theory, and all you have to do is look at what happened to organized crime in the United States. Yeah, back in the uh, yeah the, the teens and the twenties. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it becomes very obvious if you have something that people are going to buy, and for whatever reason people want to buy drugs and they wanted in the nineteen twenties to buy alcohol, they're gonna get it, and people will supply it and. People who really want it are going to pay them top dollar to supply it. And so you're going to create an industry of really, really bad people who, since they have no courts to uh, right. settle disputes, they will settle them with guns. And we're giving, and certainly in terms of cocaine and marijuana and heroin being illegal, um, well, it was, you know, a risky business to be in. It therefore was very lucrative. And if you were successful at it, you could basically buy your own country. And that's certainly what the Medellin cartel did in Colombia. It's what held the, the cartels in Mexico. Sinaloa. Yeah. That, that's all what, what they're doing. doing now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and, and look, I, I am, uh, I'm sympathetic. I mean, I have kids, right? So I'm sympathetic to the idea that, you know, look, we don't want drugs flooding the country. Okay. Good. You know, I, I I'm fine with that. Um, well, one of the things that Trump did was build the wall, which I noticed now that we're back to doing, uh, yeah, all of a sudden it's know, not racist anymore. Right. <laughs> um, you know, th th that's one thing. Let's not get in, give incentives, uh, to people to, and really this is all about incentives, right? We don't want to give incentive to cross the border and then be able to stay here illegally and disappear into the ether uh, and, you know, start a family and, and blah, blah, blah. I, it's not that I don't have anything against these people uh, trying to better their lives. Matter of fact, I totally respect that. But it also opens the door to the really hardcore criminals, um, terrorists, uh, people who want to undermine uh, the United States. I don't think that's even uh, 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 it's certainly not a majority. It's, I'm, I'm sure it's a very slim minority of people crossing the border, but just to keep those people out is important. And also to tell people, Hey, look, you've got to take care of your own goddamn country, you know, and you know, what? it may cost you blood. That is literally how most people have won their freedom. And I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's just the literal truth. And you don't want that coming here. I mean, that that's a losing proposition if you think you're going to win it here uh, for Azatlan or you know, whatever the yeah. stupid. I mean, that that's just it's never going to happen. Well, it's it's. <clears throat> It's interesting. I think there was a, a news story I saw this last week that they believed that some terrorists have actually come across the border. Well, what Since, they know they have. They've caught some. So, okay. That should be a warning bell that, hey, you have got to control the border. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whatever you might think about immigration and making legal immigration much easier than it currently is, you know, that, that's an interesting conversation to have. But... That's not the situation we're in right now. The situation we're in right now is that... It's a slow-motion invasion. Yeah. 
and thousands and thousands of people on a daily basis are crossing that border. And we've already told the Border Patrol, well, here, just give them a note that says, we'll contact you for your immigration court date and send them on their way. They're never going to show up for an immigration court date. We basically have an an open border and have since January 20th, basically. And, well, I, I guess... Uh, Joe Biden has decided that maybe the border wall wasn't that much of a bad idea after all, because uh, as of day before yesterday, they apparently restarted construction on a what is a thirty-four mile section of it. Yep, isn't that interesting? Yeah, <laughs> and very quietly announced, by the way. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say announced. I would say found out, acknowledged. Yeah, right. Yeah, acknowledged. <laughs> All right, well, Michael, that's all of our time for tonight. We gotta, we gotta run. Uh, a pleasure talking to you as always. Hope you'll be back again uh, frequently and soon. Hopefully so. And thanks for having. All right, we'll talk to you later, Michael. All right, bye. You've been listening to Observations Q and O podcast for Friday, the fourteenth of May, twenty twenty one. Appreciate the fact that you listened to the podcast. And on behalf of Michael and Bruce, this is Dale Franks saying, "Have a great week. Hope you'll be with us next week." So long.